In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, it is another edition of Prospect Pitch. And in Prospect Pitch is where I play the role of an NBA general manager. And my guest, in this case, it is my co-host, Leaf Tulane. He is going to pitch me on two prospects, not one, but two prospects in this episode. Find out who the prospects are and where I am picking. Stay tuned. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board and the founder of NBA Draft Junkies and the new director of scouting for the NTX Combine, which is a combine that gives draft eligible seniors an opportunity to play in front of NBA scouts. And my co-host is Lee Tulin, the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone else. College basketball is over. So I imagine Leaf is going back and watching a bunch of film. But Leaf, how's everything going your way? Doing well. Watched the playoffs today. And, and yeah, I'm getting back into some film. Right now I'm kind of in the mode of watching what the players can do. Uh, I've been going through some synergy, watching their strengths and weaknesses and just seeing the buckets they score and then where their misses happen. And so it's a little different than watching full games, but I'll be back into that shortly. And had a little more time with the Jazz being eliminated, which is sad, but uh, as a Jazz fan, and someone who really just enjoys being around the arena, but I've got more time in this week and, and the upcoming weeks and plan on really grinding some films soon. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of film the last week or two. I've been uh, just going from gym to gym to gym, filming a lot of the prospects while they're doing their their pre-draft training. And then I'm also working on a vlogumentary, which is a vlog slash documentary where I'm just documenting my 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 journey as an independent scout and covering the NBA draft that's trying to compete with some of the, the, the bigger platforms. So looking to release that within the next couple of days. And uh, I guess I can drop a trailer right here. I want to be the best. I really want to be the top dog in this draft space. And this summer, I want to put my name in the discussion as one of the go-to guys. I have this ambitious goal, and it's a, it's a pretty ambitious goal, but I want to document the highs and the lows and the ups and the downs that come with being an independent draft analyst that is looking to compete with the biggest platforms in sports. And this vlogumentary is gonna be authentic, it's gonna be real, is going to give prospects an opportunity to share their stories, share their journeys, and give you, yes you, an inside look of what's going on behind the scenes as they prepare for the 2023 NBA Draft. So follow me as I travel from gym to gym to give you a behind the scenes look. And this is my draft season. Part of my game that I haven't showed that much was, you know, I'm a scorer too. Like, I can break my man down and get a bucket when, it, when it's needed. I think the biggest misconception uh, is, you know, I kind of hunt um, for shots, take, 
you know, bad shots. Biggest misconception is, you know, I'm not only a defender. You know, I can also get buckets, but I can't lock you up if I want to. All right, in this episode of Prospect Pitch, I, I guess I got to put on my, my GM hat. I don't know the guys. And in this case, my team, we just landed the fifth pick in the 2023 NBA draft. And I need Leaf, who is my top scout. I need him to pitch me on a couple of prospects that he believes that we should really, really consider with the fifth pick. All right, Leaf. Got my GM hat on. You're the scout. All right, who's the guy? We got the fifth pick. The lottery ping pong ball balls didn't bounce the way we wanted. We wanted number one. We wanted Wimbayama and Scoot. We didn't get them. We wanted Brandon Miller. He's not available. Amin Thompson's not available. We got the fifth pick. In which direction should we go? Yeah, I've got two prospects for you that are both superb athletes in their own regard, and I'll lead off with a, a college basketball uh, player as opposed to Osar Thompson, who will be the tail end. But Cam Whitmore, for me, is a guy that I don't think he's necessarily been underrated by the consensus, but I don't think he's gotten the love for his traits, as people have shown the Thompson twins being like, man, their first uh, percentile athletes. And I, I'm not saying this to demean the Thompson twins, but I think Cam Whitmore's closer in terms of that athleticism scale than people have given him the credit to be. Uh, I mean, people have recently uh, looked at guys like Miles Bridges and said, wow, what a spectacular athlete. I think Cam Whitmore is just as good an athlete, but maybe more functionally athletic, maybe not as much in the transition when Bridges gets loaded off two feet, he really flies, but Whitmore does it more functionally and he's younger. Uh, he was a standout at the FIBA U18s, was the best player there. And I think people overlook the fact that he struggled early in the year shooting the ball, yet his shooting splits are very good, and he was injured to start the year. So uh, his productivity and athleticism and functionality is very high to me. He had a lot of dunks and missed part of the season. He also shot 86th percentile from spot up, which is categorized as excellent on synergy. And for those of you who are pretty geeky about this he was 85th percentile about unguarded catch and shoots also categorized as excellent and 79th percentile on garden catch and shoots and so when you have a top tier athlete that shoots that as well it's a it's a pretty easy pitch to me all right what do you shoot overall from three yeah cam whitmore shot as i pull it up here whitmore shot 34.3 percent from three with 4.2 attempts uh, the one thing that I, I would put as something different than what their numbers of synergy told me, 34 is not, nothing to scoff at, but a lot of those shots were late clock isolations. Villanova plays very slowly, and he was the best at creating a, in isolation. And for reference, he was 90th percentile in isolation, which is also categorized as excellent. So he's he's really passing with flying colors uh, so far analytically. And the eye test matches that. Late in, late in games, he was given the ball, even with a veteran team. He was also given the ball in, in spots to attack on in many different positions, which is something I value because he's not just one, as like a guy who gets in one specific spot and, and that's his spot and he's not very good elsewhere. He, he was good in multiple ways. He goes left and he just steps back into jump shots. When he goes right, he typically goes to the rim, but I think he's diversified that more so than he did when he played at the FIBA U18s and, and early in the season. 
So I think there's notable improvement, both shooting the ball from early in the season when he was recovering from a thumb injury, as well as just diversifying his game to complement his athleticism, which is very evident when you watch him play. Okay, I don't watch a lot of college basketball because during the season I'm busy with the free agency scouting and just overall managing the team. But I did catch one Ken Whitmore game against Creighton. He took five shots, and he did not want the ball in the clutch or in late shot clock situations. Can you put into context that game, or is that just an outlier performance because you're telling me that he took a lot of shots and he's somewhat of a closer, but I I didn't see that. So in that game, February 4th, he, he scored nine points, collected eight rebounds, shot four or six from the free throw line, six free throw attempts is something that I value. He'd been putting himself in position to score. Uh, Creighton was an elite eight team, so that's nothing to scoff at in terms of the competition level. Uh, he was playing against a team that had someone that ma- could physically match him uh, in Arthur Kaluma, who guarded him the most. And I would also say in that game, and just because I'm a total nerd and watch way too much college basketball, I recall him chasing after NBA caliber guards. And that's not a challenge you typically assign a freshman unless he's very capable. He guarded Andrew, uh, sorry, Ryan Emhart, as well as Trey Alexander in spurts. And, and I think he did a good job disrupting their rhythm in those games. And late in the season when Villanova kind of peaked, they weren't good this year, but when they had their best stretches, Whitmore was often used as the guy tasked with defending the best, the opposition's best player. Okay, so I'm just doing a little research here. Played 26 games, and I'm counting at least 10 games under double figures. And you're telling me this is a guy that we should select in the top five? I am. I think that Villanova plays a slow pace, so that limits possessions. I would tell you that early in the season, he came in, with an injured thumb conditioning and the team did not look very good. They're missing their best player uh, that was supposed to return from the final 14 the year prior, as well as three upperclassmen that departed. So I think, and, and there was a new coach, Jay Wright's a mastermind and Kyle Neptune did a fairly good job, I would say, but that's a big adjustment to be made for a system and, and kind of building belief in a program. I agree. You want to see more, high-profile scoring outbursts such as what Brandon Miller had, who is the other top freshman. However, I think that you got to put into context that Brandon Miller's team was the number one overall seed entering the NCAA tournament. Cam Whitmore's Villanova Wildcats uh, did not make the NCAA tournament. And there's there's reasons for it, pace of play. There's a context of the way Villanova plays, which is slow and methodical, but also egalitarian in their attack. They play through the post. Eric Dixon, uh, Justin Moore, when he returned, got a lot of shots, and, and Caleb Daniels. So my long-winded answer for you is lots of people get lots of shots, and Villanova typically doesn't have one-and-dones, and I think he was a little bit of an acclamation for himself as well as the teammates to get acclimated to having a superstar tal- uh, caliber talent on their roster. So, you know, we're we're looking for a guy that's going to be able to come in and, and play and, and compliment the guys that we have. If he ends up being a star, that's great. Now, in, in your opinion, why Villanova? If If he knew this team was not going to be good, why Villanova? Is it a situation where you believe he went there to be the man and be featured? 
or why not go to a school where he has someone that can get him easy looks and he's in a similar position as a guy like Brandon Miller? In your opinion. Well, uh, I think there are two factors. Jay Wright's retirement was unexpected last year. Uh, he had only told the athletic director of Villanova and his wife. So a guy who were committed to Jay Wright, uh, that's something he intended. Villanova enormous track record for success of development, uh, having their players very ready with traits that the NBA teams and scouts really appreciate. Uh, think of Mikel Bridges, someone who's uh, taken a, an ascension into stardom recently, but he had a role carved out right away as a guy who was seen similarly coming out of Villanova, obviously not a one and done. Nova hasn't had many one and done, but I think what Villanova did for Cam Whitmore even without Jay Wright, is it It kind of rounded out his edges. The elite athleticism, they taught him jump-stopping. They, they, uh, Villanova is known for having very refined players, and I think Whitmore would, would be regarded as a raw athlete if he hadn't played at Villanova, whether that's fair or not. I think that is something that uh, teams really look for is, man, they're really well taught at Villanova. And I've, I've, talking with, uh, I've, I've spoken, I've talked with a guy who used to coach under Jerry Sloan, who comes to a lot of jazz games, and he also worked in player personnel at multiple, with multiple teams. And he was telling me that if there was any school he'd send some of the top recruits to in the, when he was working, it would be Villanova because they're always prepared and they have this intelligence and um, in-game intelligence that he really appreciated. And so he, when I, we spoke briefly about Whitmore, he was high on him, even though he hadn't watched the film, just knowing how good of an athlete he was, looking at some statistics and saying, well, he went to Villanova. And I think that carries a little bit of a burden, um, or not necessarily a burden, it carries weight uh, that executives appreciate. But Jay Wright isn't there. So I'm not going to give him the Villanova stamp without Jay Wright. All right, when we return... We'll talk a little bit more about Cam Whitmore, but let's talk about Nissan's most electric player of the week, which is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And the player of the week is James Naji. James Naji is a center from Barcelona, and he is the player of the week because college basketball is over. And today he declared for the NBA draft. And James Naji is someone that I think could be a, a first-round pick. He is, I guess... He's Nigerian, so I don't want to say he's the European version of Jalen Duran, but he's like the Nigerian-European version of Jalen Duran. talking about a 6'10 man-child with an NBA-ready body that should be able to come in and contribute as a rebounder and athletic rim runner. All right, the Nissan Aria, it is electric. It is brilliantly fierce, fiercely elegant, stunningly powerful, elegantly powerful, and delivers on duality, a combination of fierceness and elegance, beautiful with strong, it is the perfect SUV crossover, and the 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one electric vehicle. It is the all-new, the all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. It is the EV for people who love to drive. So shop now at NissanUSA.com. Big, big shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. And our next episode, we might have one this weekend. We might. So just stay tuned in and you'll, you'll get the notification if we have one. All right. We are talking about Cam Whitmore. This is Prospect Pitch. I'm now back into my GM mode and I'm about to grill Leaf on Cam Whitmore. All right. 
I'm looking at the stats. And he is someone that you think we should select in the top five. You mentioned everything that he does well. He's athletic. You mentioned that he's a good shooter. But he averaged less than an assist per game. I, I, I need you to go into details. Why he averaged less than an assist per game. Does he make the right reads and he just didn't have teammates to finish? Does he have tunnel vision? What is it? I think there is an element of his game that we could perceive as weak. It would be passing. But that said, I think he was brought in to be a scorer, and he's got the scores makeup. And I think that I'd rather have a guy who goes and, and his, his role is, hey, we want you to go get us a bucket, and he tries hard to do that and competes on defense, and rather than someone that's it's kind of – the moment gets too large for them and, and they fear and they are kind of uh, not believing in themselves. And so I don't necessarily view that as the most concerning trait. Uh, the statistic itself isn't pretty, but I don't view it as the most concerning thing because of the overwhelming prowess he shows offensively and the athleticism to boot. I think he can control the, the flow of a game by attacking the rim. I think he's got the capacity to step out and hit threes. And it's just about teaching when to pass and when to score uh, a couple uh, well I'll, I'll rebuttal with this actually what if i told you that this is the best athlete coming out of college basketball this year and his analytics uh i mentioned shooting i'll re reiterate them 86th percentile spot up excellent 90th percentile in isolation excellent 65th percentile in transition very good 77th percentile at the rim in half court very good 88th percentile unguarded, excellent. 78, 79th percentile uh, guarded, very good. And 91st percentile early jumper. So offensively, that covers just about every category that there is that you would want in a player. And some of those read out as, as just anomalies in a positive direction. Like they peak out at all these thresholds. And he's 18 years old for the majority of the season. Misses part of the year plays on a subpar team, yet he has all these things that analytically jump off the page. Statistically, if you look at his per 36, those improve the numbers because he played only 27 minutes a game uh, out of 40, which isn't that high for this caliber of a player. And then I tell you that the work ethic, all everything I hear anecdotally is very good. They, they tell me in sprints, when he gets to his sixth uh, up and back, so the third up and back second, last leg of that, He's done with his sixth before his teammates were done with his fifth. And so I, I just think this explosiveness, shooting touch, and all of these analytic thresholds that he surpasses uh, make him a very highly regarded prospect. So if he's going to have one shortcoming that you can really point to, I'm okay with it being passing. It's something I'd like to improve, but I think there's shortcomings in any prospect. And that's that's something that I would say is more tolerable than others. But there's a couple of things that you mentioned that stood out to me. You see, they brought him there to score. So I'm looking at a guy that took less than 10 shots per game. If you round it up, it's 10 shots per game. 40% of those 10 shots were threes as a 34% shooter. Now, if they brought him in to score, and if he is at a school where they don't particularly have a lot of one-and-dones, and he is considered this elite one-and-done talent, why 27 minutes per game? On a team that was 17 and 17 his minutes go up drastically towards the tail end of the season early in the season he was coming back from a thumb injury and he averaged about 22 minutes per game for the first 
six, seven games. So I think that hampers those numbers a little bit. Uh, there's also another game where he got in, uh, injured in the middle of the game against Marquette, where he only played 14 minutes. So I think there are statistics that hamper that in terms of those numbers. But but also, your your point about uh, him going into a program that rarely produces one and duns, I believe that's the way that Jay Wright typically recruited. And in the modern college basketball that was uh, new in the sense that there was NIL you had to deal with. There's the transfer portal you have to deal with. Jay Wright recruited Cam Whitmore. He committed for Jay Wright. And then there was a fluctuation period where Kyle Neptune took over. Justin Moore tears his Achilles. And you lose your your heartbeat of that team prior years, Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels. So there's a transition for what, what they expect. So instead of being a contributor to a very good team where he can hone his craft, he's thrust into the limelight hoping to score more and then sprains his shooting thumb. So I, I think there's a transition that needs to be put into context when looking at Ross statistics. Okay. All right. Best case scenario. What is he to our franchise? I think he could be a go-to scorer on the wing. Someone that has a athletic advantage against just about anyone that you put on him with shooting prowess and the ability to be a fully two-way player, which is rare. It's very coveted, but it's rare. Uh, I think he reminds me in a in a weird way of a mix between Jalen Brown and Miles Bridges. I think he's more similar to Miles Bridges, but he's more well-rounded and younger. Miles Bridges came back for two years at Michigan State, left-handed version of Cam Whitmore, super explosive. And within four years, he was at 20 points per game score. He's had some issues off the court, but I'm speaking strictly on the court. Miles Bridges was a very talented NBA player with proven success, and I thought Whitmore at a younger age, was a better prospect. All right. If he does not live up to the hype, what would be the reason on the court that is? It's an interesting question because I I think when, regardless of what team he's on, there's a role for him to be impact the game on both ends. Uh, I wonder if he doesn't shoot the ball well initially in the NBA. I think he's got all the attributes to do so, but I would point towards shooting and then a lack of creativeness with the ball. I think he creates space well and isolation dictates that, but maybe he's reliant on athleticism and being a better athlete. And when the competition becomes stiffer and in terms of athleticism, maybe he doesn't have the guile that you need, but I, I really think he'll be impactful. I think he's got a very high floor and a pretty high ceiling. All right. When we return, we'll talk about the next prospect, which is a sore Thompson but right now. I'm looking for a championship team as the general manager of a team with the fifth pick. But if you're looking for a championship team, then you know that it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. So just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know what part will fit or you will get your money back. Because like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it is easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items apply and exclusions apply. I'm sorry. Eligible items only and exclu exclusions apply. All right. Last segment. 
Leaf has done an excellent job talking about Cam Whitmore. Now I got to put my GM hat back on and be a jerk, which, which I'm not in real life. But Leaf is doing a good job of answering these questions that I'm just trying to put, put a little heat on his seat. All right. Asore Thompson, what does he do well? Uh, he's a top percentile athlete, which which makes his floor very high because defensively, I think he can be one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. Uh, and offensively, I think he's made himself into an adequate two guard. But what I draft him for, if I'm drafting in the top five, is to have him play the point guard. He's demonstrated good vision. He's demonstrated an ability to orchestrate. But he's playing with a guy who's phenomenal and his twin brother, Amen Thompson. So I believe that people that have him lower in the draft view him as a two guard. But when you could perceive him as a point guard, all those traits amplify because the main concerns you have for him dissipate. I think that there's far less concern about his catch and shoot ability, which is regarded as average statistically and analytically. Um, But you can see the shortcomings in the shot. Those kind of become not irrelevant, but unimportant to me as the, with the on ball traits become more important and the defense remains the constant. So what do you think his best position is? I would say the point guard. So you'd say the point guard. Do you think he's someone that could be our primary ball handler from day one? We haven't made the playoffs in years. We're looking to make the playoffs next year. Do you think he could be our primary? Yes, I think there could be some growing pains, but I think you, when you're drafting this high in the draft, means you have positions to fill and a a chance to make your team better in the long run is more important than uh, you know being frustrated with initial shortcomings as the responsibility of being the primary ball handler is a burden. And I, but I believe he'll shoulder it well. The, there's going to be growing pains for any rookie, and I think. He really is a point guard at nature. He's just played alongside a very good point guard and his twin brother. And at times he's looked like the better shooter and and he just hasn't gotten the chance to pass. And so he's improved in what he's not naturally great at. I think the the passing, the ability to drive to the rim and operation of the pick and roll has been impressive as well in limited attempts. He's 56th percentile, which is regarded as good. And that two guards typically don't pan out that well in terms of the analytics. All right, so when, when you're using the analytics, like he played at overtime elite, right? And there's not a strong track record. I mean, it's a new league. We we don't know how to compare it. And it's a younger league. Now, when you do the synergy averages, they're based off of everyone in that league, correct? To my understanding. So if he's average... As a pick, what well, now? What was he as a pick and roll? He, he said he was fifty sixth percentile. So if uh, he, if he's in the fifty sixth percentile, which means he's above average in a sense in a younger league, is he ready to be a pick and roll ball handler in the NBA? Because my my concern about that is, even though it's it's you know the top high school players and it is considerably better than playing against high school you know regular high school players it's it's a different game there's not the seven footers there's there's 
just the, the athleticism is different. The size is different. He's making a huge jump. And you believe that he's good enough to be our primary as a rookie? Uh, I do believe as a rookie, he will become good enough. Like I mentioned, I think there could be growing pain. But when you're drafting fifth in the draft, you have to draft for the long term who can trans, uh, transcend your franchise in the pause direction, direction yeah, I, in the long can term. I, can not I stop immediately. you right there? I'm on the last year of my contract. <laughs> so <laughs> what do I care about the long term right now? I need another contract. I'm not trying to move my family here. So. I'm not trying to move into another city. So if I'm on the last year of my contract and I need to win now and I need to go to the playoffs, is he going to get me to the playoffs or am I drafting him for the next guy? Uh, I, I think that that is a valid concern that, that applies to general managers for certain, but I think the owner uh, is his interpretation has to be the long term. When you're drafting fifth, it's very rare you get an immediate turnaround. And so you, you could be, going safer but i think his upside outweighs a lot of the uh the people who could be pessimistic about his immediate impact my son is great start high school next year he's trying to play on the varsity team i need to keep my job i'm not trying to trying trying to move or not trying to be in this city when i just got fired so can this guy help me make the playoffs as my point guard maybe 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 you feel like he doesn't have to be my primary but if I move him as a secondary or defensively, can he help us win games next year? Defensively, certainly. I think right away he's an unbelievable defender. I've heard people liken him to Andre Iguodala. And for anyone who's watched the NBA the past 15 years, Iguodala is one of the best uh, wing defenders that we've seen in that span. Uh, offensively, I think in in ways he'll be able to impact the game in a positive direction immediately. I think the long-term reward is the main appeal of Osar Thompson. So if you're drafting in the top five for for a team with good job security for the general manager, I believe that is that is a more appealing pick because I think he's going to be more of a, I don't want to say project, because I do think he can make positive impacts early, but I think the, the positive dividends that for him are going to be very strong later in his career. And not by, not by much later, just not as immediately as you could see some of these guys who could be more ready. Like Case and Wallace could be someone who's more ready immediately to impact, but I think the upside for Osar Thompson is far higher. All right, so what does he not do well? He's not a great shooter. He's an unproven primary ball handler, but though both of those things he's shown flashes of being good at. Uh, right. The catch and shoot, he's a 54th percentile guarded catch and shoot guy. And that is I, I, want, that... I want the real percentages because you, you, you're, you're weighing it out against other high school guys. I want to know, like, what is he shooting on catch and shoot jumpers? He is shooting 30% from three. So not great. However, if you want just raw numbers, uh, you have to scale it against the competition that he's facing. The gains are shorter. He's got 16.3 points per game, 6.9 rebounds per game, 6.1 assists, and his stocks are off the chart. 1.3 blocks per game, 2.7 steals per game, and he attacks the rim at a high rate, getting to the free throw line nearly five times per game. All right, let's get back to the shooting. You said he's not a great shooter, but based off the numbers, he's not a good shooter or an average shooter. How long do you think it's going to take for him to become at least 
a reliable or respectable shooter? I believe he can do that within his first couple of years, but but it's that's the reason I think offensively you need to have a primary scoring option next to him to allow him to thrive. I don't think he'll ever be your primary scoring option because of his inability to shoot. Um, like at this point, I think he can develop to be a competent one. I don't think he'll ever be great in that regard, but I, I believe in his facilitation will rapidly ascend. Defense will be excellent. And the rim pressure he can put on will be similar to what his brother's lauded for as being a, as someone who's able to attack the nail, get put rim pressure and a kick out to shooters. Uh, Amon's drawn comparisons to a six, seven John Morant many times. So I don't see why Osar won't be able to have some of those similar attributes and an impact on uh, on his offense, getting good shots for his teammates. Is he an elite finisher at the rim? He is a quite good one for the, the uh, let's see, he's 77th percentile at the rim, which is considered very good, but it, you have to scale it to a competition. He also has 40 dunks for a point guard or shooting guard. That's something that, is impressive shows functional athleticism, even though many of those are in runouts, but 40 dunks are still a, a high total. All right. What's his percentage at the rim in, in like the half court, would you say that he's a good finisher at the rim in the half court or are his rim numbers heavily aided by transition? In in the one, what I've looked at so far, his layups, at the rim are average according to this um he gets there at a high frequency though and he is he's shown developing touch on the early jumpers what i've seen seen according to this i don't have the broken down between transition and half court offense for rim finishing all right is he a what's the free throw percentage like it sounds to me like he is a tremendous athlete that likes to get downhill excels in the open floor but he doesn't shoot the ball well. So if he's going to put a lot of pressure at the rim, is he going to be able to rack up points at the foul line? What's the free throw percentage like? 67.1%. So nothing spectacular, but it doesn't trigger off the the threshold where I'm horribly concerned. (laughs) All right, so we have a below 70% foul shooter. The guy that you're saying is an average finisher at the rim when it comes to layups in the half court. 30% shooter off the catch, or at least from three-point range. So what is his best attribute that he can come in and contribute early on offense? Uh, rim pressure. I think he can get to the rim and slash at a high a high level and i think he'll be able to pass with increased spacing in the nba that's something that i haven't spoken about where i think that the game becomes easier for him in, in a certain way because while there are better athletes there is also more space for him to use those long strides and stupendous athleticism to create angles to score for himself as well as others all right uh, a couple more questions if he makes it who is he It's a good question. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a, a player comparison, but like what what is he if he maxes out his potential? Uh, I think he can be an all-NBA defender. 
throughout the entirety of his career, not necessarily every single year, but he'll be that caliber of defender. And offensively, I believe he's someone who can get you 16, 17 points for the majority of his career once he develops his shot just a little bit. I'm not saying all the way up to a 40% shooter or some drastic jump, just enough to gain respect and allow him to uh, get to the rim more easily because people have to play higher up on the court. And so to me, a guy who scores 17 points as an all-NBA defender is, is worth in many redrafts. If I've, I've gone through and done about 20, 20 of the past drafts and then kind of looked at it, and I think scouting is getting better. But typically that type of player is a, a pick at five that you say, you know what, I like that pick in, in retrospect. So that's the, that's the appeal, and, and obviously that's if he hits. But I think there's a good chance for that to happen because his his floor is so high due to his defensive acumen. All right. In one word, if he doesn't live up to the hype, what would that reason be? In one word. Uh, playing off ball. Okay. All right. Not quite one word, but. I get it. All right. Here's a tough question. Your job is depending on. Cam Whitmore or Sore Thompson living up to the top five hype. They have to be the top five in a redraft in their class before their rookie contract ends. If you had to choose one for your job, who are you betting on? I'm going with Cam Whitmore, who I've currently got ranked ahead of Osar Thompson. Um, just by a nose, I think he's got more scoring earlier in his career and, and I think that allows him to have a higher chance of being picked in a redraft early in his career as more highly regarded by his peers and executives. However, in the long run, I think it becomes clo a closer race because of Sarah Thompson. I, ex I expect to kind of ascend more offensively uh, as he grows, whereas Whitmore was more ready-made. All right. Great episode. Now I get to be myself. I was kind of being a jerk there, but this was fun. Big shout out to Leaf. Leaf did an excellent, excellent, excellent job, man. You, you're great at this. That wraps up this episode of Prospect Pitch, and we are out.